Right now, staying connected is more important than ever, and fast, reliable internet from Xfinity can help. We'll ship you a free self-install kit to make setup quick, safe, and easy. Find great offers and value today at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. My name is Scott Hogan, and I'm a golf coach located just outside of Chicago, Illinois. Over the past several years, I've been searching for the knowledge that would make me a better golf coach and become someone who helps my students play better and enjoy the game of golf more. I never thought this search would take me to certain places or allow me to meet certain people, but as the search has continued and the knowledge has been learned, I want to invite you to join me along the way as we explore more ideas that help golfers and coaches become the most successful they can be. Welcome to the Be Epic Podcast. And thank you everybody again for joining us on this Be Epic Podcast. This is episode two, and we're going to be continuing our conversation with Richard Franklin of Discover Golf. And before we get started, uh, I wanted to talk about episode one. First off, the feedback that everybody gave me that uh, sent me a text, an email, Facebook message. Some of you made the time to give me a phone call and let me know that you enjoyed the episode. I really do appreciate that. I'm excited to keep going. Again, we want to know, or I want to know what you want to hear from or what you want to know about. And uh, you know, I actually had some coaches from other disciplines, actually a couple of different ones, ask me about how they could apply some of those concepts in their respective sports, which I thought was really cool. I, I didn't even think of those questions coming and something that we're working on or I'm working on as, uh, as the week has been going on. So again, thank you so much, everybody, for that feedback. So again, we're going to be talking again with Richard Franklin. If you didn't uh, listen to episode one, I highly recommend you go back and do that. We're going to be expanding on some of those ideas tonight in this episode where in the first episode we were talking about, you know, the kind of the gap that I think people assume exists between, you know, having a game-like structure versus, you know, a more traditional structure for coaching and lessons. And with that in mind, today we're going to be talking about, you know, starting to go and what's it take to start building golf games. And what you'll start to see is I think many people think, okay, if it's a game structure, well, it's just play or it's just goofing around. And to really build an effective golf game, when we start hearing Richard, you're going to start hearing there's a ton of thought that goes into this. Uh, And what may seem like the simplest of tasks has a lot behind it. So... When we start going, this we're going to start it off with talking about you know kind of what happens when you have a game like structure. What's some of the the benefits you can see as having a program where players have the ability to work their way up and see some of that success. Yeah, I think this is this is what we help our our coaches with because. You know, we might look, you know, we're working with a coach right now uh, in Europe, 
and he wants to make a class that's a uh, hundred levels. So we kind of get into some gamification stuff here in a minute, but um, we kind of talked about how many, so first of all, how many classes does he want to make older, younger, adult, blah, and he's got a really interesting um, concept about, um, you know, vacation time, amount of time, amount of days his kids could really devote to playing golf. And so he's, he's going to test this idea where it's every day. There's kind of a very um, explicit sort of mission, and you're going to go through that, and you're going to try to level up every day. I think that's just an unbelievable um, conversation to be having, right? It's really going to challenge you as a coach to say, okay, if I, you know, the, the thing I say, you know, sort of maybe from a marketing standpoint, since Ron is like, if you had to make your program like a video game, how would you do it, right? How would you construct this user journey? What kind of things would you would you be asking? Um, what would what would fit into that program? So I look at you take your message, you program it, right? You speak your coaching truth again through that message, and you say, "Look, I I can articulate why my kids." go through a 40 level progression, right? I can articulate why it's significantly easier in the beginning and we we only allow, um, or we're, I'll rephrase that, we are almost completely open to any kind of goal structure they want in the beginning and then it gets more and more on course, it gets more and more score specific. I can articulate the entire user journey, which, allows me to market my product with efficiency, right? Because when you, know, when you, when you stand for something and, and you have clarity of voice, then the marketing speaks with such truth that, you know, I, just, I feel like I get great response from my parents because it doesn't feel like marketing. And so as you heard Richard talking about with the program of 100 levels, the idea that getting our players to be on board with what we're doing and buying into this game of golf is something that I hear from numerous coaches through discussions. And I have the privilege of talking with many coaches around the world where this seems to be a universal issue that's going on. And... The issue is getting players that, that want to work and want to put the time in and improving. Well, giving them a reason or giving them the sensation of wanting to put some effort into the game, that's a really important idea that I think Richard just described through when you're leveling up and saying, hey, this is something that I like. This is giving me some positive feedback and I like the feeling of this and I want to keep going with it. And then from there, we can start moving players into some of the more healthy habits that we can do as coaches and get them to participate. And as Richard describes coming up is the idea of goal setting, which if you've used the Discover Golf app, that's an essential piece to the design of the app and the programs is this idea of getting kids to buy into developing goals for themselves, setting what they would like to achieve, and basically feeling like they plan their own journey through the game of golf.
But what we've done is we've made a design decision to say it's double value if you say that that's what you want for yourself. So by simply sort of drawing a line in the sand and saying, I am interested in this aspect, we are going to make that worth two times the value. So for me, getting a nine-year-old or 10-year-old to say, look, I've seen a very limited amount of this game, but what I've seen so far, I like that thing the most. So it's my job as a coach to quadruple down on that thing. So her or, or his level two, level one, would be all about exploring this one little thing with putting or chipping that for whatever reason they find stimulating, right? And so I'll tell our parents, I'll say, we're gonna go from having four months of looking at this one little thing as our gateway into right all of the other stuff, which quite frankly, I think it's as much of your job as a coach to shield them from that stuff as anything else. Where you want to get into game design, let's, we can look at golf, right? Like I put golf on trial. Golf, the design is is horrible from 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 certain aspects. Horrible, and the reason I say that is so we we just talked about a little bit. I, I like this idea of um, this heuristic tree. We talked about heuristics for mental shortcuts, but it works in game design too. A good game has a heuristic tree, right? So at so you kind of look at it top down or bottom up, it really doesn't matter. But at the beginning, you have a positional heuristic that says, this is where you are, and this is the next thing to do, right? So if you go to top golf, your positional heuristic is very clear. You got the screen, you got the big bright thing in front of you, you got your golf ball, everything says just get this stick, hit that ball there, and then bang. Something just happened. Oh, okay. I dribbled it in the front one. If it goes a little bit far, okay. Okay, good. So the next heuristic. If I get it in the air a little longer, I get some more points. And then it's like, okay, well, I've sort of figured that one out. There's one a little bit off to the side here. So the next heuristic is maybe take care of some points here. If you feel like you're willing to try, you know, a little risk reward. If you want to try another one, you go there. That's the heuristic tree of top golf, right? Isn't as bushy as regular golf, right? Because you can get into all the stuff you got to know for regular golf, and it's infinite. At top golf, there's not that many things to learn. It's ball in the cylinder points, okay? So top golf's design is better because it's a smaller tree, but it's bushier, so to speak, in the beginning. It's easier to know what you have to do. This is a really, I think, important concept for coaches is that, like, you need to have be empathetic in terms of, like, if you, if you stick a kid on the golf course on the driving range with a crooked club, you know, and look, a lot of advances have been done with U.S. kids and uh, snag golf and things are, are, are being, you know, more child appropriate. And I'm not saying it's not, but still, even with that, there's not enough to hold on to right, to, to kind of know what the next thing is. So I'm just very careful in trying to keep uh, the next thing very clear, keep that front of mind. Like all you got to worry about is just worry about this next little piece. And then once they have some agency over where the ball goes, then we get to do the next thing. And so I try to symbolize that 
with digital design and, and communicate that with the parents. And of course, I mean, what's a parent going to say? They're going to say, I mean, this is, they, they don't hear talk like this, I think, with, with other coaches. Um, and again, I, I'm able to, to, to speak to this because I've spent so much time uh, being considerate of the user experience from a game design standpoint than quote unquote golf coach. And so Richard brings up a really interesting point about empathy. It's one thing we hear a lot about, but I don't think we think about when we're going towards our players. The idea that golf really is a tough ask of a game. We're using a very difficult tool to use. We have a very small object to hit, and the playing surface and the playing field is very, very big. Having some empathy to seeing how we're going to get to that end goal and making some steps along the way can be very important. And this is not only just for players that get into the game and we're trying to get into it, but this also can be for players that have been around the game, they've shown a little bit of ability in, in what they're able to do, but eventually we might run out of their interest or we run out of strategies to keep them involved and growing in the game. Because he's eight years old, you've seen him chip, seen him putt, he's maybe had a couple shots to say, look, if I, if I expose him to that for more than a couple minutes, he's not going to like golf, right? So it's like the, the empathy and the psychology are, are taking over and you're figuring out a way to make this fun in this, in this much smaller context. You you get might get another kid who's soccer kid, lacrosse kid, hockey kid, you know, just can't can't do anything but be, you know, be athletic. Kid like that I can use the software and, and use the sort of game design lens to say, okay, why don't we challenge him for like an all-arounder type achievement? You know, can this guy get 300 points in driving, push play, short game, bunker play, high, low, like, like let him express himself physically and sort of show off his ability to, to really do everything pretty well for his age. So his user experience is completely different and they, they're the same age, but it has to be unique. To, it has to be unique to the players. So then I get back to this thing where if that particular junior is going to another facility that's using formalized junior curriculum, I don't believe they're addressing that exact issue, you know, with that kind of, uh, with that kind of clarity and precision. And so we're starting to uncover that it can be very helpful from a development stage. If you're looking to have juniors involved in the game of golf, it can really help them keep their interest level in the game. But what about using games to help develop our players become better golfers at the tournament and higher elite levels how can the game start to really turn up our ability to perform when we need it most um, you know performance psychology is something that you know we touch upon quite a bit and I'll just I'll, 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 I'll do this briefly I think for me what I'm seeing now is a trend towards a more mindful uh, approach not I mean you're seeing this obviously in pop psychology and it's a, it's a sort of buzzword but um, it's an interesting concept we, we, whether we try to or not we talked about it a little bit with the 
behavioral economics, which is uh, emotion-laden sort of response system, right? Well, the, the current thinking in performance psychology, and this is obviously for our better kids, is that um, being mindful, right, of your, let's call it, internal environment uh, and being non-judgmental about that, about that state um, and, and actually holding your attention much closer to what is ultimately a probably uncomfortable private moment is probably the most powerful thing in performance psychology um, and especially relative to uh, older thinking, which is more you know cognitive behavioral therapy type interventions, which you hear this all the time, which is like positive thinking or block it out or you know, have, a, have an ironclad routine, right? All of these kinds of ideas are more about negative private environment comes in, you gotta block it out, right? You gotta figure out either a mantra or a positive mindset, or you gotta visualize, or you gotta have a routine. And I'm not saying those, those things don't have a place because obviously real world player evidence seems to suggest that those have their place, but I'm really drawn to these ideas of um, being accepting of what is always going to be a, a negative environment when you're playing tournament golf, right? If you play tournament golf, you understand almost from the jump, you're dealing with some uncomfortable physical realities, right? Not only physical, but mental, right? So you got the shakes a little bit, you got dry mouth, whatever, but your body doesn't feel that great. You're saying all kinds of stuff that you never say to yourself, like, you know, how's this going to go today? Or like, you know, do, do I really deserve to be here? But I mean, it goes on and on, right? You've been there. Oh, yeah. And if you, and if you're, if you're sitting here watching this and you say that doesn't happen, you need to go tee it up in, in a Monday somewhere because it's coming. So yeah. a lot of, a, a lot of what, I always sensed when I was playing and, and I'm, and I'm further convinced is that it's much more empowering to say, okay, this is me having an emotional response to a situation that I'm threatened by. Right. And this is okay. And in fact, the fact that I'm having this discussion with myself about, isn't this kind of interesting that I'm in a position where I don't feel like I have control and my natural reaction is to, you know, be afraid or to, to, to be in sort of this peril about, you know, where, what the future leads. But the fact that you can have an honest, non-judgmental conversation about that and not try to immediately block it away, this is, I think, kind of the mindfulness approach that a lot of people are talking about now. Um, we address it more and more in our, um, in our, in our, not necessarily our curriculum, but also this is an interesting mental space for game design. Uh, which I know you want to get to, so we'll, we'll go. Uh, over. I just quick comment that that's interesting points because I I remember uh, my one of my mentors played in two. Uh, one of my mentors as a coach played in two U.S. Opens, and he always talked about that when he was playing. You know, he got this heightened sense of everything. You know, the heightened sense that he was nervous, that he was yeah. shaking. Uh, you know, he felt the wind a little more, and you know his yeah. his idea was. I got to figure out a way to use that or embrace yeah. it a little bit. Yeah. And, and instead of trying to shut it out, uh, he tried to always bring it in. And yeah. 
figure out his way to, you know, he tried to turn it into a, a positive that way. Absolutely. And so right there, that could be maybe the most important thing that we deal with as coaches, uh, especially if we're coaching at the higher levels of competition and tournaments. As a coach myself of a high school and college teams, it can be easily the most uh, negative effect that players have on themselves is their ability to handle emotions and handle these uh, internal environments as Richard described them as. The idea that we can start learning how to embrace these environments, learning that they're going to happen, we need to embrace them, we need to say, you know what, I've done my work, I've heard this theme from many elite performers that you know they practice to get to these situations where they have these feelings and that's when they're able to perform and if we can put our players into these situations and show them that you know what they put the effort in that they completed their game if you want to say it that way or their task that they're able to better understand better embrace better uh, handle what again Richard describes a very private moment that really they're the ones that are going to have to figure out how to deal with that situation. So really important thing that uh, I think the game side can bring up as we go forward from there. And, and something as we start gamifying and, and designing games, we really want to be paying attention to, for especially if you're working with players that are looking to compete at those levels, at those higher levels especially. So from there... You know, the other things that we want to start considering when we start to put into games and, and we don't want to just go out and design games and they, they work best if they have some, some thoughts into them is this last idea of we really want our players to develop skills. At the end of the day, it is a skills-based game and we want our players to be able to have a high set of skills, have a very, very good level of competency and some very, very... Aspects of the game, and so we start talking about how we can do that, and with some certain game design aspects, but also vary it based on the person that's in front of us. Again, the idea that we have a user here that's going to be on the journey, and this game is it's not very linear. It's going to depend on what they are like, how their personalities are, to how we present and design the game for them. And then skill acquisition, which is, you know, a great topic, you know, constraint-based learning versus a more traditional approach, you know, where I, I don't think, I don't think one is right. I don't think, you know, either one is right. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle from my experience. You know, you've got the constraint-based people that say, look, you set the environment up, right, which is highly contextual, right, that, that, that that gives a high fidelity representation of the skill of playing golf, right? So it has to be representative. It has to feel and play like the thing that you're going to be doing. So the specificity of what you're doing, there is no model, right? There's, there, there is only the internal self organization of the human in that environment. There's no ideal because it's, it's their wobbly mix of all that stuff that's unique to them, where the explicit camp would say something like, look, here's ideal, 
and repetition and avoiding mistakes to go closer and closer to that ideal is what is what we're striving for. They're gonna the the explicit camp is gonna place much more attention on uh, explicit coaching, sort of the cognitive process of thinking through the pieces where. Uh, the constraint-based coach is going to have this uh, this more implicit style. I work with enough people to know sometimes I go a little bit more traditional explicit. Sometimes I go pure constraint. I mean, I've got, you know, one, you, you know, him, uh, you know, one of our kids, um, one of the best players in the state. And uh, I hardly say anything to him. I just, I just have a feel for what kind of environment he needs to be put in how tight his tolerance tolerances need to be. I feel like, again, we get back to the deterministic modeling piece. You know, I feel like he's in a little bit early right side bend. He's sliding his hips out in transition with his pitch. I feel like he's a little scuffy with his low point. I'll go set a landing zone game off of a tight downhill lie, and we're going to play He'll clean up his hip slide. He'll get that low point forward. He'll work his hand pass sharper left around the corner, and he'll be nipping it in no time because I forced him to focus on a sort of perceptual cue, which is if you bottom out, you're going to drop kick this thing 40 feet past, past the green, right? So I, so I just put him in a situation, and I net out all of the things that – potentially, not in my opinion, in his case, could have been done with, hey, do you know the kinematic sequence with a 40-yard pitch is actually reversed and your chest is more open than your hips, your impact, and you actually don't press, you don't slide. You know, like, we could have done it traditionally with him, but it doesn't work with him. But then some kids, it's like, I can put them on a downhill eye, that little scrapey downhill eye, with no green in front of them, they're never going to get the solution. You got to tell them. You got to give that, like, so then you're using information as a constraint. Then you're saying something like, I need you to, uh, you know, you might put a constraint on where where the club can bottom out. You know, you have an alignment rod or something that has to come over that, or they, they, they're staggered stance, you know, left foot forward to try to get the hip, the chest to work more forward in the game is that has to be on the green but their chest has to be facing, you know, there's all kinds of things with, with, with a little bit more explicit um, direction with what they need to do. So that would be a little foray into at least how I see skill acquisition at the junior level. And so there we have it. That's, going to conclude part two of our conversation with Richard Franklin and again we're going to be getting and going deeper into this idea of game design what parts of game design we can look at but as we started off tonight hopefully you start seeing the thoughts that you're going into the games what are you trying to achieve that's really going to help your players one stay interested in the game two start developing some ability to perform and also developing some skills within the game there's a lot of thought and a lot of variables that you have to take into consideration before you ever just start rolling out games if you want them to be effective and work to where your users as 
Richard McCollum, so-and-so, or your juniors are going to enjoy it. They're going to have more fun. They're going to want to stay in golf and be able to perform and play well. So, again, thank you so much for joining us today on the Be Epic Podcast. This was episode two. We look forward to seeing you in episode three. If you like the episode, please leave us a message, a review. Love to hear how you uh, enjoy the episodes or what we can do better, what you want to hear more about, all things that we want to make sure we bring to you as we continue with the, the further shows. So, again, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. Is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.